Carol, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak to me and the Blind Spots audience today. I, I know how busy you are, so really appreciate you uh, you making some space for us. Brian, there is always time in my schedule for you. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> How's the weather in downtown Boston today? It looks beautiful out the window there. It the, the is. The light anyway coming through. Yeah, it is lovely today. It's cooler. It's dry. It's probably the best spot in the USA today. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's definitely hot down in uh, the Texas Arizona area. I'm glad I'm not there for sure. Let's uh, let's kind of start by talking a little bit about the uh, some of the work that we've done together in the past when we launched Double Check Now Clue. Rapid Seven was one of our first clients. You were the former chief marketing officer, of course, of Rapid Seven. You already know that, but for the audience, <laughs> and uh, you believed in this concept of of being able to collect data from buyers and share that information across the organization. Uh, now you moved into to board member roles at many different companies. So I'd love to maybe get a little bit of insight from you into kind of the time machine view of WinLoss as the chief marketing officer. Tell me about your relationship with WinLoss, why you felt it was important at the time. Yeah, I've always I've always thought it's really important because you want to win, right? You want you want <laughs> um, you want your product to uh, be adopted by and loved by customers because that's why you built it, right? You you want to solve problems for people, and so if you don't get selected, you obviously don't get that wonderful opportunity to be the the product of choice and the thing that helps a customer achieve their goal. Um, but, you know, from a real practical standpoint, I've always found it's really important because it can be, you know, it's a great way to assess uh, things that you might need to improve on. So, for example, you might uncover um, that your marketing messaging isn't really working that well and it's not setting sales up for success. You might uncover that you really have some issues with sales enablement and training. There's certain things that are the, the team is really struggling with, not adopting. They may not be even adopting the sales methodology, for example, that you've put in place. And you can uncover some of those things, I think, with a really good win-loss. But it also can be a really great leading indicator, right? Because you can get some early warning signs if you're doing a good regular win-loss program. So for example, you might uncover that a competitor has a new product that perhaps they haven't even announced, but they're starting to show it to customers and tip the scales in their favor by perhaps, you know, in the in the lingo of um, of sales, you know, um, setting traps for you as a vendor because saying like, well, you know, XYZ company doesn't have this particular capability, and that's really important, you know, uh, if you want to achieve the goals you're trying to achieve, right? And you can get those signs, I think, out of um, out of win-loss or if you're having pricing problems, right? Sometimes, you know, companies don't take sales seriously when they say, listen, we're overpriced, <laughs> right? And we're losing and our competitors are discounting. They're like, oh, you're just trying to make things easier for yourself. But um Maybe not. You know, maybe the competitors really are trying to trash the market and you can get some early warning signs from that. So I've always felt it's really important. And I think it's very important to not just do it only on the deals that make it all the way to the end. You got to find out, too, why are you getting kicked out early? Why did you not even make the shortlist? You know, if the customer talked to you very early on when they were canvassing the market, what was it about 
your marketing, your sa- selling, your product, whatever it might be, that sort of kicked you out and didn't get you to that shortlist stage, right? So I think it's really important to um, be monitoring what's what's working and what's really the point of view of the customer. And you you learn that from win-loss. I, I love that you use the word monitoring because I think a lot of people will start off with a win-loss project and they have some sort of question to answer and it could be around pricing or it could be around some sort of competitive intelligence. Maybe they're hearing something, as you had mentioned, about new products being launched or something along those lines. But I think the, that monitoring word is key here because we have seen that companies who really take win-loss seriously look at it more programmatically, and it's ongoing. There's no end to the, their win-loss effort. It's just, it, it's, it, 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 it changes, right? It evolves over time. It becomes agile. So what is, what is your view on that? It sounds like, you know, you can stumble upon things along the way, right? But how do you look at it from a programmatic perspective versus a project? Yeah, I absolutely think it is a programmatic thing. And I can see it starting as a project. And if it does, that's great. But once you see what you learn, it's hard to imagine you wouldn't want to keep doing it because especially those leading indicators are things, those things you learn. So, you know, I don't want to... Um, reveal anything about any particular company, but I do know, you know, places like Rapid7 and other places where we had a programmatic approach, we might st- see sort of new competitors creep in that we weren't seeing before. And maybe they don't compete with us directly, but they're on the fringes. And so it starts to tell us something about customers who maybe don't have a super strong need for our product, but have some need and they're able to find some um, substitute product that is not a direct competitor, you know, another another um, solution in the cybersecurity space perhaps has added, you know, vulnerability management-like capabilities. And you're not going to lose a lot to somebody like that, but maybe you start to see them creep in a little bit, right? You get that early warning sign and gives you an opportunity to, um, to do something about it if you want to, right? To think about how do we arm the sales force? Um, how might we adjust our messaging? Are there things we could be doing um, product-wise? Is this going to be a big uh, future competitor or really just something that sort of operates around the fringes? So I think the programmatic approach is very important to those leading indicators and detecting things that are changing in your market. And then when you start to sense those things happening and changing, there's a question about like, well, how much data do you need to be able to decide to respond? And I think some people get caught up, like they need a lot of data to, to you yeah. know, move the ship to make any sort of change or decision or investment. Others are, they, you know, they hear something once and they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> we, need to, we need to act on that. What, what is your view? Like how much data do you think is enough to be able to say, okay, we need to go after that particular competitor based on, on what we've heard? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's it's um, it's hard to say there's just sort of one thing, right? You're sort of combining the win-loss data with other information you have. Um, so, you know, for example, if um, you've been hearing something about pricing, but you only see it in one example, you might say like, why don't we just go get some objective, you know, information about this? This doesn't seem to be a huge issue. You might want to see that in a couple of, of different cases because you might have, you know, one rogue sales rep who sure. <laughs> discounted, you know, much more than the company even allows them to and therefore you, you lost the deal to them. Um, so I think it's a matter of thinking about what are you hearing? 
um, what through the win loss, what are you hearing through other channels and how do you combine that together to go, this is enough. Correct. This is enough information. I don't need 30 customers saying, you know, the same thing. These five, along with everything else I know, is giving me the information I need. And maybe you're finding out that um, pricing isn't an issue everywhere. Maybe it's only an issue in the education market or, you know, so it really depends on the particular situation, how much information you have. But I think the thing you must avoid is not being, you know, uh, paralyzed by not having enough information and constantly yeah. be going, I need more, I need more, I need more. If that's that's happening, you might want to rethink your process a little bit. It was a tricky question I, I threw out to you. You handled it very, very well because it's, <laughs> you know, it, it is, um, I guess it depends on the information. It depends on the source uh, of that information as well. Uh, and a lot of people will layer in sales input. I know that we often will look at those recent codes and kind of scratch our head whether or not the the recent codes selected are actually the real reason why deal was won or lost. But what what other sources you mentioned? You know, looking at other sources as well. What other sources would you typically lean into when um, combining it with maybe what you're hearing in a win loss interview? Yeah. So, you know, a couple of different things. One is, yes, the sales team themselves, you know, what it, how, what are, what are they saying about a particular issue? Um, if you work with analyst firms like a Forrester or a Gartner, they can be a source of information. Obviously, you know, you're also monitoring um, press releases that a company is putting out or, you know, doing a little bit of shopping, you know, at trade shows and events. Um, you might also, if you sell through a channel, you might be hearing things through your channel partners that can be corroborating evidence or, you know, indications that something you picked up on in even one or two in loss reports is an indication that there's a shift in the market and the shift in a feature that's um, catching buyer's attention or pricing or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think those are some of the other sources that you can be looking at and listening to. And then let's kind of move the the discussion along to your your position on on various boards uh, within various technology companies. And now you know CMO experience, but now you're kind of sitting there helping these leadership teams understand how to improve their go to market strategy, looking at data uh, from different sources. What have you found in working with them? Um, as it relates to their their understanding of, of you know competitive intelligence and buyer intelligence, do you find they have a good handle on it, or in general, um, do you feel like they need work in in the, those areas? I do find that a lot of companies are not um, taking that systematic approach, and uh, especially in the last year or two, when most companies have seen a little bit of a slowing of growth rates, you know things like that. It's been a, a much more um, difficult environment than the years leading up until the pandemic, right? So people have um, been dealing with a lot of uncertainty. And so they're, the people they're trying to sell to are uncertain and, and right. deals are moving slower and things like that. And so, you know, as a board member, you're often asking, well, what are you really hearing? And sometimes it's very anecdotal, right? Which is great. It's good to have the um, the anecdotes. One of your, your leadership teams calling you right now. Advice. Yeah, right now, what are you saying? Um, so, <laughs> sorry about that. Don't worry. Um, but uh, there's not always that 
that systematic piece of information. And the other reason it's so critical is, you know, we always want to know how we can improve go-to-market. And one of the ways you can improve your go-to-market is getting really smart about why buyers buy, why buyers use and are happy with your product, and why and when they aren't. So just like win-loss, you really want to understand win-loss of renewals as well if you're in a business where you have renewals. Because again, that can be an early warning sign, you know, of something going awry in your business. And as a board member, you're trying to reduce risk in the business, right? You're you're really responsible for um, protecting shareholders, right? And part of that is really understanding the risks in the business. And I think win-loss plays into that go-to-market risk. Do we have go-to-market risk? Do we have product risk? Do we have market dynamic risk? And win-loss, I think, can be really important to understanding that. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see over the past year and a half or so board uh, board members and and investment firms shining a bit of a spotlight on win-loss and especially on, on that churn side. You know, companies coming in with low NRR numbers, uh, much lower than they could have ever imagined. And and uh, the board wants wants some additional answers. So with the win loss interview focused on churn, um, they they tend to get some answers to that. But also just in general, we're seeing a, a lot more venture capital firms, private equity firms, just wanting more out of their leadership teams during board meetings. And it seems like those leadership teams are often turning to win loss uh, as one of those those primary. Uh, sources of, of intelligence to help satisfy ultimately the need of the board uh, so the boards can help point them in the right direction. When when you look at actioning data at the leadership team level, working with boards, do you find that once you kind of get the data together with them or they get the, the data together and present it back to you, like are there typically a lot of actions that are taken from board meeting to board meeting based on the data or not. I mean, I'm trying to yeah. paint the picture of, of the actionability of, of the insights at that level. Yeah, no, I think I think there is. You know, I think that there's, um, I think sometimes teams are challenged with presenting the data without the right context. Yeah. You know, even as you said, you know, sometimes you'll see NRR numbers going down or um, a higher level of churn. And often, uh as a board member, you'll ask questions about that. Why? What's driving it? And sometimes the answers you get are rather unsatisfactory. Yeah. That usually leads to homework uh, from the team to come back and explain like, that they have a command of that, that they understand what's happening. You know, the other thing that happens with the story is, uh, or the data is often it's disconnected from each other. So, you know, you might have um, not so much related to, to win-loss, but You've got pipeline data and you've got marketing leads data. And board members are often saying, I don't understand how leads necessarily relate to pipeline or our lack of pipeline or, you know, whatever it might be. And people are not always connecting the dots all the way through to say, we have command of our entire go-to-market process and let us help you understand from beginning to end where we are, what's going well, what's not going well, and how it all connects together. Board members often leave a board meeting scratching their head a little bit like, you know, they said this was going well and this wasn't going well. And then I don't understand how these things connect to each other. And um, and so I think teams need to really think through making sure they're providing the right context about any information that they're 
sharing. So for example, if you share win-loss data, don't share the win-loss data. Help the board understand what it means what are, and what are you going to do about it, right? right? There's no reason to have win-loss data just to have it. Like you should be using it to help you make decisions and take action in your business. And I think if you're presenting that data to your board, you should be able to talk about those things with them so they know what are you going to do about this? Well, it's, it's interesting because it's it's a big challenge that we see with organizations where they they have every intent on acting on the data that's being collected, but they just can't get it together you know, to be able to do that in a organized, operationalized manner. So um, problems persist. And, and this is a tricky time too, because of the turnover, I guess, uh, of leader at the leadership team level with different heads of product marketing or competitive intelligence or different uh, go-to-market roles that are kind of coming in and out of the organization, which makes it more difficult to act on that intelligence and be able to follow through with um, tracking the impact of those actions. So this is just more of an advice question when you're thinking about the work that you do with organizations or or um, roles that you've been in in the past working with leadership teams. What is the <laughs> what is the 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 silver bullet, right? Or or to to be able to get teams to really move the ball forward uh, on acting? Is it like a racy chart type approach to you know <laughs> what, what what is it? What is it exactly that that uh, they they could do? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. Um, I think that it sort of starts with setting it up the project. Like I'm a big I'm a really big believer in this for almost everything, which is if I'm going to be doing something, let's establish before I start why am I going to do it? <laughs> you know, so why am I doing this? What am I hoping to learn? What do I think the outcome should be? And in the case of an information project, and what am I going to do with the data? I may not know the exact decisions I'm going to make, but if I start to lay that out ahead of time, and I can be clear, you know, even if it is a, a, a racy chart about, great, well, then who owns those different pieces? Then I can go back to that when I get the data in and start to say like, okay, so we said we were going to look at this data, we were going to make the following decisions off it. What did we learn? What are our next steps? I think really focusing on that and and having someone manage that project to make sure that there is something happening from it becomes, you know, very important. You know, for example, you know, we I work with a lot of um, really small companies as well. And one of the reasons I really like win-loss data is because sometimes part of the problem in an early stage company is that they're focused on the wrong customers. You know, they they haven't really nailed down who their ideal customer profile is. And so the sales team is trying to sell to everyone. Right. And that can be very inefficient, right? So one of the outcomes might be we're doing this to really deeply understand who is our ideal customer profile and then start to shift our sales and marketing to focus on that so it'll be much more efficient because we're focusing on the people who we know have a problem that we can meaningfully solve, you know, and they'll be happy and they'll they'll get benefit from using our solution. So then you can set that as your goal and and then make sure that that's happening post <laughs> post the project. I, I I love that, and it's I I've had some experiences recently which don't have necessarily the outcome in mind. They just kind of start, 
And it's a totally different approach. It's let's see where this goes and let's kind of you know, figure out along the way, which, which I totally support, but without that, like, this is what we're going to be doing with it. And this is where, this is the destination. <laughs> like, I feel, frankly, I feel lost in those, uh, in those projects uh, because I, I do need to, I typically will reverse engineer something versus, versus the, the opposite, just the way that, that I think. So that's, that's great advice. I'm going to, I'm going to switch directions one, one last time on, on sure. this, uh, this call, but I want to chat with you a little bit about AI. Um, there's been so much going on out there in the world and, you know, you have an intimate understanding of a lot of different areas of technology having to do with marketing and, and cybersecurity and, and many other areas. What is your, what is your take just in general on what the world's going to look like in five years, you know, who are the winners and losers going to be? Not specific companies, but but just in general, are they going to be companies we've never heard of before? You know, two people in a in a garage. Are we gonna are we gonna go go through that again? And you know, the next multi trillion dollar company. Where where are we Where are we going in in your your mind? Yeah, it's so it's so hard to know. I do a hundred percent believe that AI is going to be more impactful than we can imagine. And I, I hear from a lot of people like, oh, no, it's not really going to be that impactful. Um, or they're, you know, much more excited about superconducting compute, computing. But I remind people that you want superconducting computing so you can run software on it that does AI <laughs> more efficiently, right? I mean, so, so it's really the AI. You always build your computing power um, because you want to run software on it, right? So I think that AI is going to have just, I can't even imagine all the impacts. And I think what we'll see is similar to we have with other things, we will see some new uh, major companies emerge. I'm not sure who they will be, but I think we'll see some really big new players emerge. Um, but we'll also see some of the already, you know, super large companies, you know, the Microsofts, the Googles, who are who are already on top of this um, continue to dominate because they've gotten ahead of this trend and are really setting the pace. I think on a lot of a lot of these things. So I think we'll see this mix. I think in the sales and marketing arena, it's going to be explosive. I mean, just explosive. I have no idea who's going to win that. I wouldn't necessarily say that the you know the large players, particularly in sales and in marketing, are. Um, vastly ahead in this space, but my guess is they will over time acquire. But I am just seeing an explosive number of of companies um, uh, emerge. They won't all succeed, but there are some um, there are some big ways that this is going to impact sales and marketing, and it will get adopted. There's just no question in my mind that it will, it will happen. And where do you think the low-hanging fruit is in sales and marketing? So there's, I mean, it's such a, a big space. There's so many different aspects of sales and marketing technology, but is it on the content creation side? Is it on optimization, which I guess would kind of be the same thing? Uh, where where do you see kind of the first line of yeah. change happening? Uh, it already has, let's face it. It, it already has. has. <laughs> I would say yes, Second yes, and line. yes. Yeah, where, where do you think... Where do you think <laughs> If you were to fade yeah. out, right? I mean, I I think in sales we we'll see a couple things. I mean, I'm and I'm seeing a lot of them now. I mean, I think we will see um, 
We will see AI come in as, an, as a super assistant to sales and do a lot of the things that sales hates to do and their managers are always bugging them to do, like update their CRM, <laughs> um, you know, create a um, win-loss report themselves, you know, or whatever right. it might be. That, you know, do do these things like, why did I win? Why did I lose? Even even sometimes companies ask the salespeople to just write those up, even if it's not getting it directly from the the customer, um, call summaries, things like that. I think we'll see a lot of that. So sort of a super sales assist. I think we'll start to see some really interesting things in enablement. Um, you know, I've seen companies that have created pretty good avatars for role play. I've seen things that are built to help um, ensure salespeople are following whatever sales methodology or process you believe in, which doesn't always happen. Things that are going to prompt salespeople, you know, to um, adjust how they're even talking to a customer. So I think we're going to see a ton of interesting things there. And then, yes, I think we'll see things around optimization, helping you know which opportunities you should be focusing on, personalization, helping you um, automate much more personalized um, uh, outreach to your customers and prospects. And explosively, the same things will be happening in in marketing. A lot more automation content creation. Um, I don't think in the near term it eliminates the need for creative people, um, but it reduces some of the the work that they're doing and helps them be even more productive. I mean, people are doing it today, getting um, AI to draft the first, um, the first draft, you know, draft that first draft or jet, uh, do idea generation for them or edit, you know, a document that they've, they've written, um, help create the creative assets that they need, the visuals, especially if it's not a super high-end piece, um, they might just use AI to do it. So it's going to be pretty explosive in terms of how it gets used, I think. Yeah, it, it's it's exciting and uh, terrifying at the same time. And <laughs> we, we recently at Clue had an AI day where, where every associate was, you know, left free to explore whatever AI capability they wanted to. And we're starting to see some of the the the, the reward of that effort come through. And it's pretty cool. Like, you know, there's just so much out there and for a whole company to come together and find, you know, down select these really interesting uh, capabilities. I One of the things that I did was found a... <laughs> This is, I don't know, good or bad, but I, I found a a voice, an AI tool to replicate my voice. And then okay. I, I was able to read the win-loss reports with the, with the avatar voice. So you could press play and just instead of reading the report, you can just listen to the report in my voice or, or, or somebody else's voice, which I thought was pretty cool, right? It was so quick right. to, to set up. Um, yeah, you could have it read by the rock, you know? <laughs> That's that's right. That would be much better. I'm going to have to to work on on that one next. <laughs> yeah, celebrity voices. That would make it so much more interesting. You're right. Cool. Well, uh, I know that we're we're just kind of about out of time here, so I'm going to toss one last question to you. I'd love to get your advice just to people who are at the leadership level looking at exploring things like win loss data to to drive change. You know, how would you recommend they start? thinking about getting going with something like this if they don't have it today? Yeah, I, I would start at that moment of why do you want to do it? What are you what are you hoping to learn? 
Um, what information uh, are you expecting to get, and how will that impact your decision making? Like, what decisions might you might you make of that? As you pointed earlier, where sometimes people just do it and then they see what comes of it. Um, in addition to having that uh, initial objective for why you want to do it, um, you got to be open because you might learn things you weren't expecting, <laughs> or you might find ways to use it that you weren't initially anticipating. For example, you might not even be thinking that the problem is you're targeting completely wrong customers. And then suddenly through the win-loss data, you're like, oh, the problem is we're talking to the wrong people. Like these are not people who, who would even be um, most likely to benefit from our solution. And I think that's that's really important. And I think if you use the the why, you will be able to get other people on board to doing it, you know, too, because everything you do as a business, take some level of effort, time, you know, it's time, people, money, right? So if you're clear about what you're hoping to get out of something and what that return on the investment is going to be uh, for doing it, it's much easier to get people rallied around and understanding why you want to do it, how it's going to benefit the company, how it might even benefit them in their particular roles um, and get on board and get it done. Sage advice. Sage wise advice uh, and a great way to end this episode of Blind Spots. Carol, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer in, in the beautiful part of Boston that you live in. And uh, we'll connect again soon. All right. Thank you, Ryan. It was Bye a for pleasure. Now. Bye.